The Roman practice of crucifixion was designed to be one of the most painful of all uh, ways to execute a criminal. Crucifixion was reserved uh, really for those who'd committed the most serious of crimes. So the committed prisoner would be forced to carry a vertical beam across their shoulders to the place of the execution. Then at the execution site, the prisoner would be laid down on the ground, placed flat, and the soldiers would nail the prisoner's arms to the crossbeam, either through the wrists or the hands. The prisoner would then be lifted up and placed on a vertical beam. A tiny platform was attached to the vertical beam where the feet were then nailed to the cross to fully attach the prisoner. That platform allowed the prisoner to lift himself up just enough to gasp for breath. As, he, as the nails uh, bore the rest of the weight of his body, without that platform to push off of, the prisoner would die of asphyxiation rather quickly, but with the platform, death could take days. So why did the sinless Son of God have to die such a painful death, the painful death of a condemned criminal? Why did God the Father allow his son to be humiliated, tortured, and killed by the hand of sinners? This evening we pause for a few moments to consider the cross. As we look at John's narrative, we see that the cross was not a mistake. It was not an accident. Instead, we see that God reveals himself and his character through the cross. We see the glory of Christ displayed through the cross. And we see that God's character displayed through Christ's humility and his love, through his sacrifice, and through the glorious unfolding of God's plan to save sinners. Remember, sin had come into the world through the very first man, Adam. God had told him that he could eat of any tree of the garden except for one, and if he ate of that tree, then he would surely die. But the serpent came and caused Adam and Eve to question God's goodness and his plan. Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit. Now, I'm sure in that moment that they weren't envisioning the consequences of their actions. I think we never do when we're committing sin. But the fruit looked delightful. So they maybe asked, what harm could it do? Just eating a piece of fruit? But the reality is that their disobedience was an act of rebellion against a good and gracious God, a holy and righteous God. And the consequences were devastating. We understand from passages like Romans 5.12 that sin came into the world through one man, that is Adam, and so then death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all have sinned. And so the impact of their rebellion against God sent shockwaves through the world that we continue to feel the consequences of today. The reason that there's sickness, there's death, there's disease, the reason there's weeds and mosquitoes, all consequences of sin. The same can be said for the reason why there is theft and rape and murder, addiction and destruction and wars. The truth is that every act of sin is rebellion against a good and gracious God. And the truth is that, that we are all guilty. Sin may have entered through Adam, but each of us stands guilty of our own sins before a holy God. 
this evening, you may be thinking of yourself, maybe you can think of a lot of sins that you've committed, or maybe you can't think of any. We're often blind to the consequences of our own sins, particularly when we don't see the impact of our sin and what it has on the lives of those people around us. But just because it doesn't, we don't see the consequences of those sins doesn't mean that there are none. Our sin often affects those around us, but once again, sin is rebellion against God, and it impacts our relationship to God. And so when we look to the cross, we see how God has revealed himself, our sin, and our Savior. I want to go through the text and and look at, at four different things. The first is how God reveals himself through the cross of Christ as we see Christ's humility. In verse 34, uh, John tells us that when the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one for each soldier and also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let's not tear it, but cast lots and see whose it shall be. So Jesus, the divine and sinless Son of God, the rightful King of kings and Lord of lords, was nailed to a cross painfully. He was stripped of all his dignity, publicly humiliated and and seen by any outsider as one who was guilty of crimes. He was stripped of his clothes, of, of all his earthly possessions. And as you consider, it would be bad enough for the soldiers to fight over the clothes of a dead man, but to fight over a man who could watch them, who was on the cross and could see everything that happened. It's as if they were treating him as if he were already dead. These soldiers really were a picture of of everybody who is uh, without God in the world. They're, They're heartlessly ignoring God without concern. He might be there, there might be evidence of him, but but they don't acknowledge him. But John tells us then that the soldiers gambled over his last remaining worldly possessions, and in doing so, their actions fulfilled Old Testament prophecy about the Messiah. They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Christ's willingness to endure the cross was the greatest act of humility in all of creation. The Son of God, who was God himself, humbled himself by taking on humanity, becoming a man. For what reason? No other reason than to take our place so that he could be our substitute, to live a life of obedience to the Father. Obedience that that the first Adam was called to do but had failed to. Obedience that that we would be called to do if we were able. He was obedient. Obedient even to the point of death. Even willing to die on a cross. So through that, through his willingness, God reveals himself through the cross to the glory of Christ's humility. Oh, what great love that God has for us. That he would be willing to humble himself, to condescend and suffer and die for no other reason than to reconcile us to himself. The second thing that we see in the text is that God reveals himself through the cross of Christ as we see his love. 
in sharp contrast to these four soldiers who were gambling over his clothes, John shows us four women who were standing by the cross. And it was in excruciating pain that Jesus remembered them. He acknowledged them. He made provision for those that he loved. Jesus was Mary's eldest son and so therefore her caretaker. And so from the cross, he entrusts her care to John, the one who refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. John would take care of her. Before we think that John was someone who was arrogant and somehow Jesus' favorite, I think it's maybe better to say in the whole of the gospel, he's not named apart from being the one whom Jesus loved. And so that was the identity that he took on for himself as he told this gospel narrative. And so the one who was willing to identify himself with Christ and his love, that was the one that Jesus entrusted his mother to, to care for for the rest of her days. You see, sin tears all of our relationships apart. But faith in Christ forges new relationships. In the body of Christ, we are brothers and sisters, not because of blood, but because of faith, but because of the fact that Christ shed his blood on our behalf. Jesus gave a new commandment that we would love one another as he has loved us. And if we think about if Jesus loved even in the midst of the crucifixion, how much more does he act on that love for us now from heaven, from glory? He does not forget us. In fact, he intercedes for us. He's promised to acknowledge us before the Father. and He makes provision for us, both here and in heaven as he goes to prepare a place for us. God reveals himself through the cross of Christ and his character as we, we see this displayed through Christ's humility, through his love, and third, through his sacrifice. The cross itself is evidence of the sacrifice, but there's more. It is with great effort that Jesus declares his thirst. And the guards then once again go through the motions. They provide him with sour wine. And this, unknowing, unbeknownst to them, was to fulfill prophecy. Psalm 69.21 says, For my thirst they gave me sour wine to drink. This wasn't the same bitter gall that Jesus was offered on his road to the cross that was mentioned in the other Gospels. That was meant to dull the pain. But instead, here Jesus took the bitter wine in an effort to extend his life perhaps even just a bit more. The cup that he drank was the full measure of God's wrath against sinners. And with that then last breath, with his uh, thirst quenched, he declared, it is finished. So what is finished? Well, what was finished was all the work that God had called him to accomplish. He lived a full life of obedience. He had done everything that God had called him to do. He'd lived a life faithfully entrusting himself to the Father's care, to the Father's judgment, to the Father's provision. And so even then, I said at that time, I should say then, he knew that he could go to be with the Father. 
And so Jesus then bowed his head and the, the passage said that he gave up his spirit. He had said that he's the good shepherd who would give up his life, and I'm sorry, lay down his life for his sheep. He also said that no one could take his life and so he willingly gave it up for himself. We see then his sacrifice to the utmost to save sinners. The fourth part then that I want to draw out is that God reveals himself through the cross of Christ as we see the glorious unfolding of God's plan to save sinners. You see, right after Adam sinned, Adam and Eve sinned, there was a promise that came along with the curse, the curse that affects us today. There was a promise that, he w- that God would one day send someone to defeat to defeat sin, to defeat uh, and to save God's people. So apart from the soldiers unknowingly fulfilling God's plan as foretold in the Old Testament, we see the unfolding of God's plan to save sinners according to his predetermined sovereign plan. Look at what time, when it was. John tells us it was the day of preparation. The Passover lamb was to be killed on that day. Qualifications for a Passover lamb were that it was to be unblemished, that there were to be no bones that were broken. But there was a problem. The Jews did not want the the bodies left up on the crosses during the high holy day. And so they went and asked that the soldiers would break the legs of those being crucified. See, the crucified would, as I mentioned before, would normally be left on the cross for days Sometimes even after they had died, they would leave the men on the cross. It was a way to show that don't be like these men. Don't commit these same crimes. But for this, they asked that the men be taken down. Because to be left up on a cross would not only show that the man was cursed, but it would also defile the land. There's a lot of irony in that. They didn't want uh, Jesus left up on the cross because they were afraid that he would defile the land when in fact he was the one to bring salvation. And so the Jews asked that their legs would be broken so that they would die more quickly and be taken down. But because Jesus is the Lamb of God, we, we see that God preserved even his body after death. The Father protected him from the defilement of broken bones. First, the the first criminal is his legs are broken, and the second, but when they came to Jesus, they saw that he had already died. And so instead of breaking his bones, the soldier pierced him in the side, thus fulfilling the prophecy and showing that Jesus is indeed the perfect Lamb of God. John went to great pains to show that that this was not something that happened by accident. Jesus' death was not an accident, but in fact, it was God's plan from the very beginning. He put the clues throughout Scripture for a reason. He wanted his people, and even us here today, to know that Christ's death, and well, his death, I was about to say his resurrection. We'll get to that on Sunday. But that Christ's death, was sufficient to pay for the sins of his people. God reveals himself through the saving work of the cross so that we may believe and have life in his name. That's what John says 
is the point of his whole gospel. That's the point of why he tells us these details. See, Jesus paid for our rebellion so that we might believe. Why did Jesus have to suffer and die? Well, the scripture says that he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Brothers and sisters, if you ever doubt that God can forgive your sins, think about Christ and what he suffered. You see, he suffered to the uttermost. Whatever sin that you may have committed, Christ's sacrifice was enough to pay for it. And so we can trust, because we can trust that he was indeed raised from the dead, we know that the Father received that payment. God reveals his character through the cross of Christ, the glory through the cross of Christ, that Christ was, be, was willing to be humiliated in the way that we ought to have been humiliated in our sin. If our sin was exposed, imagine how we would feel in front of a watching world. That he loved to the utmost. Even in his dying breath, he was willing to think and care for others. How much more? Does he care for us today? That his sacrifice, that he would lay down his life for his sheep. Knowing that the glorious unfolding of God's plan was to save us, you and me. Not righteous people, but sinners. 